it's time for Football Asia with Paul Williams. Yes, let's round things out with our trip to the giant continent to the north, as we do every week with Paul Williams from the Asian Game Podcast. Evening, Paolo. Simon, Alex, how are you guys? Very good, good very good. Uh, let's start with some big news that broke today. Uh, Australian coach Pete Klamowski has parted company with Montedio Yamagata over there in Japan. What's happened there? It's a bit of a surprise, this one. I mean, their form hadn't been great of late. They've lost their last five, which any coach who loses five on the trot is always going to come under a little bit of pressure. But we've spoken in the last couple of years about the success or relative success that he's had a couple of years ago, he took over the club when they were staring at uh, relegation, turned them around and, and almost got them into the promotion playoffs last year was a game or two away from earning promotion last year as well. So he's done fantastically well. Every off season, he loses his best players, to J1 clubs, which is understandable. So he has to rebuild again every off-season. So they always tend to start slow in seasons as a new squad comes to terms with his style of football. But they always storm home, um, as they have done in previous seasons. But they won their first two this season. They've lost their last five. And I guess that was enough for Montedio to call it a day, which is really unfortunate. We like to see our A-League, uh, our Australian coaches do well overseas. And he has had some some moderate success. So hopefully he can land on his feet somewhere else. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, he's not the only coach on the move uh, in Asia. And, and this is probably under different circumstances. But Herve Renard's worst kept secret is out. Uh, he's leaving Saudi for France. Uh, where do they go from here? It's a really good question. I'm really intrigued to, to see where they go from here. I wrote a piece about it um, this past week because... For me, as I'm looking at it, he was more than just a, a coach for them. What he'd achieved throughout his career before he got to Saudi and then what he was able to achieve with them through qualifying and the win over Argentina, he was he was more than just a, a coach who can move X's and O's around on a, a whiteboard. He gave them some credibility and some legitimacy in, in the world stage, which they arguably haven't had for ever or at least for a, a long time. And they had become a team that, other teams had started to fear playing. So that's what they've got to replace. They're not just, as I said, replacing a, a coach who can move some X's and O's around. So I think the approach that they take to uh, appointing his successor and the outcome of that will tell us a lot about how much Saudi football has matured in the last couple of years because we've seen them come a long way. There's a lot of momentum behind Saudi football at the moment, but we know their history of hiring and firing coaches on a whim in the previous decade before Renata, I think they churned through eight coaches. Um, he was there four years, which is almost the longest any coach has ever served Saudi Arabia. So it'll be really interesting to see where they go from here because with all the momentum they built, they're one of the favorites for the Asian cup next year. It's an appointment they can't afford to get wrong. So I'll be fascinated to see where they go. Um, Alexander Krestinin has also parted company with Kyrgyzstan uh, just a few months out from the Asian Cup. Now, I, I have to admit, I'm a bit surprised by that because he's a bit of a legend in that country, isn't he? And he led them to their first ever win in the finals in, in 2019. Mm. It is a bit of a surprise, that one. Like, I mean, he's had, he had great success at, at club level as well with, with Dordoy, the perennial champions there. So he'd been in the job for nine years and he really transformed that team from something that was a team that was something of, of an easy beat to a really difficult side 
to play. I'm, I'm not sure your memory of it, Simon, but the, the round of 16 game they had at the last Asian Cup, they played the UAE. They arguably should have won that game. They were the better side on the night. That would have set up around a, a, um, a quarterfinal clash, sorry, with the Socceroos, which would have been really interesting. You were in Bishkek a couple of years before that, um, and they were really difficult to, to play on, on that occasion as well. Australia eventually put them away, but it certainly wasn't easy. They'd stagnated a little bit over the last couple of years, but it's still not one that I saw coming. I don't think many people saw it coming as well. So I've already heard that there is one coach linked to the job, someone that you'd probably remember from uh, the EPL in the uh, the early 90s, Simon. That's Andre Kanchelskis, oh, who's, um, who's been wow. linked to the job as well. So watch this space there. Interesting. Great memories of Bishkek. What a trip that was. Um, let's uh, move to South Korea. A bit of trouble at Mill for Jombuk Motors, one of Asian football's real powerhouses, of course. Uh, but at the moment, they're closer to the relegation zone than the championship, and their fans turned on their coach at the weekend. That's Is that usual in Korean football? Because they're normally pretty polite, aren't they? But they had a right crack at him. They did. It's, it's not common, no. I mean, it's... We've, we've seen it occasionally over the years, but it's certainly very, very rare. So and this one is one that's been simmering away for a while now, and it's really come to the surface um, in the last couple of weeks. It, it was simmering underneath the surface last year, but as you said, they're closer now to the relegation zone. They've won one of their first five or six, I think it is, this season. I mean, it sounds a bit rich for a team that's won seven of the last nine titles to be complaining. But over the last couple of years, they've really complained about the style of football that they're playing. They see it as a very negative, boring style of football. And a, a team that's been so dominant with the best squad, the fans expected a lot more from their team. And yeah, with the, another loss on the weekend to Pohang, they actually stopped and barricaded the bus and stopped it from leaving the ground for two hours after the game, demanding an apology from um, Kim Sang-sik, the, the coach who refused, eventually relented after a couple of hours and did apologise for how the team has been playing. But this certainly seems to be heading in one direction, one direction only. Uh, fans not happy anywhere, it appears, in South Korea. Uh, there were protests at the weekend. Incheon United, that's Harrison Delbridge's team, uh, just being one example. Uh, the Korean FA's decision to pardon 48 of the 50 footballers, coaches and referees who were suspended in 2011 for match-fixing. Uh, now, I'm told that the Korean FA say it was part of a celebration of the national team reaching the round of 16 at the World Cup which seems a little bit spurious to me. Um, but the fans aren't happy. And it, apparently the, the national team isn't happy about it either, some of the players. Mm. It's a story that probably got overshadowed as well because there was that little bit of a social media spat between Kim Min-jae and Song Hood min as well last week. But, yeah, it, it really it's a really surprising one because it just came out of nowhere. There'd been no talk or suggestion about this at all. And as you said, in there, infinite wisdom decided this is the right thing to do to celebrate Korea getting to the round of 16 at the World Cup was to, to give pardons to those who'd been involved in match fixing. As you said, the, the response to it was was vicious in a way. Players, officials, um, no one was particularly happy. And if you cast your mind back 10 years, it was a massive, massive story. There was a lot of people that was caught up in it. Some that were involved even took their own lives. So it was a very sad story and now you know they decided to, to give them pardons 
given the reaction, they then had an emergency meeting. They reversed that decision. So the bans now stand and they've issued an apology for, for what they've done. But it's really left a, a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths. And I think fans will have a, a long memory of this one. I think the KFA mm. have certainly got some um, some mending bridges to do there. Wow. A lot of negative chat there about South Korea. Let's uh, get on to something a bit more positive. There was uh, an international call-up recently for a, a name we all know very well in this country, uh, Schwarzer, uh, Julian Schwarzer, though, only it wasn't for Australia. Mm. No, we've got some some great sons of the golden generation coming through, but uh, Schwarzer isn't going to be one that wears green and gold. He was called up. He made his international debut last year, Julian Schwarzer, for the Philippines um, and was called up again into the the squad uh, for their recent friendlies against Kuwait. And Jordan, I spoke to him uh, last week for a piece I did on uh, on Optus Sport. Um, yeah, beautiful young man. Really trying now to step out of the shadow of his father, which is an enormous shadow to, to try and step out on and create his own career. He's moved over here to Asia. He's playing in uh, Malaysia at the moment. Um, his his mother, Sir Mark's wife, has Filipino-Spanish heritage. Her uncle um, played for the Azcals as well in the 60s. So it's through that side of the family that he was eligible to, to play for the Philippines and he's chosen to represent them. And what I really like it, about it as well is when Mark was at Fulham, they had a young goalkeeper on their books by the name of uh, Neil Etheridge who he took under his wing and, and helped develop now the shoe's on the other foot because Neil is now an experienced goalkeeper and the number one with the Philippines. And he's now taken Julian under his wings. That's a, a beautiful little story that shows the, the, the connection that exists between those over um, going back almost 20 years now it is. I wonder if he's good at saving penalties. I bet he is. <laughs> um, news of a former <laughs> A-League player on the move. Bernie Abini is going to play in Singapore. He is. It's a good move for Bernie. Um it's a somewhat of a su- surprising move and with the greatest of respect to him probably says a little bit about the Lion City Sailors and the the tightening of their their belt they've had to do. Of course, we know they come on burst onto the scene a couple of years ago, splashing a lot of cash and, and promising a lot of things. And their owners have lost a bit of money um, with their businesses in the last couple of years. So they had to really tighten their belts because, you know, go back 12, 18 months, they, kind of, they signed Kim Chinook, um, you know, Korean international striker from Ulsan Hyundai, Kim Do-hun, um, who was just a couple of months on from winning the Asian Champions League with Ulsan. He came along to coach them as well. They were even linked with an audacious bid to sign Shinji Kagawa at one stage, which is probably never going to happen. But it shows that the ambition that they had. So as I said, with the greatest respect to to Bernie Abini, he's not in that that caliber of name. So um, it does show that um, you know things are a little bit tighter financially, but. Good move for him. They're going to be playing in the, the Champions League playoffs um, later this year. They'll be challenging for the title in Singapore as well. So after a torrid few years for Bernie, hopefully he can get on the pitch and help provide some success for Lion City. Brilliant stuff, Paolo. We are going to ask you about the Asian Cup draw in May, but uh, maybe we'll leave that for next week because we're out of time. Uh, but as ever, thanks for yours on the Global Game. Speak to you next week, mate. See you, Paul.